1: Really can't wait to see the fan engagement interaction being from Ohio. I know a lot of people are looking forward to All-Star Weekend there. I think fans should have an influence because they're a big reason why we make so much money. They're a big part of All-Star Weekend. It's about entertainment, it's about the fans, and those interactions that we're able to have kind of behind the scenes and in public. The Cleveland Brown in me wants to see OBJ win it. For one, because we're from Ohio and it's like, wow, we're gonna watch Cincinnati win a Super Bowl, it's, it's like a gut punch. But for two, OBJ was written off. Like people talked about how he was a cancer, he had lost it, he doesn't have it anymore, you know. Shout out to OBJ, shout out to the Rams, shout out to Joey B. Happy for you, man. You're really putting on for, for Ohio, and I'm just really looking forward to a very entertaining game. Ben was offended that the Sixers still fined him for not playing in the final preseason game, even after he rushed to arrive at the arena before a tip off they have been fining him heavily even after he raised mental health issues upon his return. The fines have totaled $19 million since the season began. Each game has cost him $360,000 and by the end of the season, if he doesn't play for the Sixers or any other team, Simmons could lose another $12 million. That'll be over $30 million, which is wild. Welcome to the 130th episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 130. And on this date, February 4th in 2020, Eric Gordon tied a record for most three-point field goals attempted without a make in a game with 12 in a win over the Hornets. Ironically, he kept shooting, didn't make, and the team still won. That goes to show you that it's all about the team effort. Mentally, it's got to be hard to get over those types of misses. But when you're a shooter who's unconscious about the makes and the misses and works hard, Um, It's easy to keep shooting, and I'm sure his teammates, understanding how great of a shooter he is, continue to pass him the ball and continue to encourage him. With that being said, we found this on Reddit. On 2-2-22, which is February 2nd, 2022, number 22, Desmond Bain, who, by the way, is playing really well this season, definitely in the running for most improved, definitely in position to start for the Memphis Grizzlies for the long haul. He shot 22% from the field. He had two assists, two steals, two blocks, two fouls, and two turnovers. Crazy, crazy stat. He also retweeted it, basically joking, saying that, wow, this is H-E double hockey sticks. Big fan of the Memphis Grizzlies. They're playing extremely well. Obviously, John Morant, first-time All-Star, first-time All-Star starter, playing well. 30-point triple doubles. He scored 30-plus in, I don't know, six or seven straight games, playing amazing basketball. Just wanted to tell you guys that. Anywho, fresh off a road trip. Uh, obviously, for those that don't know, I'm back to playing basketball again for the Portland Trailblazers. We currently sit 21-31, and 31, which is 10th in the West. I guess we'd still be in the playing game if the season ended today. Obviously, we have goals and aspirations. you know, Beyond that of making the playoffs, making a push with this being my ninth season in the NBA. Eight straight seasons to the playoffs. That's always my goal is to get better as a player, help our team win, and make sure we're in position to, to play in the playoffs. Morale around the team is unique this time of the year. For those that work in the the real world, by real world, I mean nine to fives, this is the weird time of the year where you turn on the TV and you're in trade rumors. You open your phone up, you're in trade rumors. Your teammates are in trade rumors. And there's discussions about your value. There's discussions about your worth. There's discussions about a package around you and how you could potentially help another team. There's all of these you know, different things that are kind of swirling around. And I always joke that, you know, imagine you're working in the office and when you turn on the TV, they're discussing, you know, your worth. They have your salary, how much you make, you know, how much you'll make the next few years and what types of packages would be worthwhile for, you know, another company to kind of secure your services. And I think that's where we're at right now, obviously, as a professional we know we signed up for this life as basketball players and we kind of embrace what comes with it and I think there's something to be said for being involved in trade rumors because that means that you do have value and that, that means that someone has an interest in your talents and abilities so you kind of embrace it and take it all and um, strive. but understand that it is a weird time because change could be coming for a lot of us change could be coming um, for a lot of teams across the league so you kind of Embrace and prepare the best way you can while trying to do your job um, to the best of your abilities. So it is a weird aura, new feelings around the team. You can kind of see the looks on certain guys' faces, um, you know, as rumors continue to swirl. But um, most teams are going through this, and I think. These rumors are a bit different than they have been in past years, because in past years, we haven't been 10 games under 500, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of volatility around our organization in terms of firings, in terms of promotions, in terms of those different types of things to where this is probably the most unstable our organization has been, you know, in my career. So it does feel different. For sure. I think it's an adjustment for everybody. And a lot of people's heads are on a swivel as the days pass because you feel like something could be coming, not just for your team, but also for your friends who may be on other teams that are also involved in trade rumors. But there's so much to talk about. I'm going to share my thoughts on the recent All-Star selections. I'm going to surround... You know, more hype uh, in terms of OBJ and the Super Bowl. Joey Burrow, uh, a fellow Ohioan, I want to discuss newsworthy updates on the Sixers and Nets and so much more. But make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. Hit us with a five star review. Share the show with a friend and tell a friend to tell a friend because we'll be back shortly. As we were recording this podcast, the All-Star Reserves were released. But before we get into that, I want to briefly touch on the starters. In the Western Conference, you have LeBron James, obvious. Jokic, aka the Joker, aka Mr. Triple Double, once was an MVP, maybe an MVP again. You have Andrew Wiggins, first time starter, first time in the All-Star Game. Um, Some people thought it was controversial, averages 18 points a game on arguably the best team in the West. Playing extremely well, efficient basketball. Key, key component, key cog on this team. Steph Curry, face of the franchise, Hall of Famer, arguably the best shooter ever. Makes sense. John Morant, first-time all-star, first-time starter. Killing, Memphis is playing well. He's kind of revitalized that city. East, we got Kevin Durant, who's injured. He's going to need a replacement. We'll get to that in a second. We got Giannis having another MVP caliber season. Embiid having an MVP caliber season. Trey Young dominating. DeMar DeRozan, got the Bulls back in relevancy, playing extremely well alongside Zach Levine, in position to probably make an All-NBA team. I want to go back up to the first list, talk about Wiggins very quickly. Happy for Wiggins, first-time All-Star. He's playing extremely well. He's kind of revitalized the way he's perceived by not only the NBA world, but also the basketball world in terms of value. He showed that he can play a role. He showed that he can defend. He showed that he can play winning basketball. And I think having been on some teams that, you know, weren't necessarily known for winning. I think that kind of clogged the minds of the casual fan, the minds of certain teams. Um, They have this saying, you know, putting up empty stats, things of that nature where you're scoring, you're doing well, but your team is not necessarily playing good basketball. So he goes to the team that arguably plays the best basketball, has arguably the most efficient season of his career, and he's rewarded by being named as a starter um, in the NBA All-Star game. So I I think that's great for him. I think that's great for the league and obviously – with the fans deciding, you know, 50% of the votes, that played a huge, huge factor with his following in Asia and also his following in the Bay because they do have some loyal, loyal fans. So happy to see him in the All-Star game. I think his game has evolved. He's become more of a mature basketball player. He's catch and shoot. He's getting to his mid post. They have some great um, ATLs, which is after timeout plays where he's able to kind of, you know, get a catch. Throw the ball back, come off for a lob, and he also has some nice duck in place. They run out of um, their horns and their their flow, a.k.a. motion offense. So happy to see his development. Obviously, with Clay coming back, their team kind of changes again and evolves with not only more size and defense, but also more shooting and continuity. Looking at the East, no surprises. I knew DeMar would be a starter. Knew the rest was kind of written based on performance, consistency, availability, and how dominant all those guys have been. Looking at the reserves, which were just announced recently, you got Book, Luca, Rudy, Donovan, CP3, Cat. I like what I see here because obviously the Phoenix Suns have played extremely well, having won 11 straight. I talked about them on my last podcast about how they play team basketball, how efficient they are, how the leadership starts with CP and money, kind of trickles down. Book is the closer. He's the guy that can go get 40 if he needs to. Mikhail Bridges defends. He does all the little things. Aiton is back um, off the injured uh, list. And Jay Crowder, among others, are con- consistently contributing towards their team. So I like that. The fact that they got two players, best team in the NBA right now, makes sense. Could get a third, may not. Luka, triple-double machine, leading the Dallas Mavericks to a playoff spot right now as it is. Uh, Big guard, great for the game of basketball. Obviously, he has a huge, huge European influence. Rudy made the Utah Jazz look completely different when he was in the lineup versus when he wasn't. I think the Jazz have lost a few games in a row since he's been out. Uh, He's kind of showed how dominant he is at the defensive end and also with him. Being a center, I think it's important that, you know, as a, as a traditionalist of the game of basketball, that you have centers represented because of their importance to the game. Obviously, I love my center, Nurk. He sets screens. He does all the little stuff for us. And I think they deserve to be rewarded in these types of moments, in these types of settings. And I'm happy for him. Don is obviously having another great year. All-world guard can score, becoming a better distributor, but obviously scores at all three levels. Gets to the rim, gets to the free throw line, has a midi, and also knocks down threes. CP3. You know, goat point guard, enough said about him. And Cat, really happy about Cat. Minnesota's playing well. Obviously, you got Edwards, you got D'Lo, you pick up Patrick Beverly, you got some young players that are playing well. But Cat's been very, very dominant, you know, getting a lot of 20 and 10 nights, but also contributing towards winning, which is important for these types of awards. So happy to see that. There will be some question marks here, and I'll get into that in a second. Draymond said he will not play in the All-Star game. So that gives Adam Silver a chance to choose the replacement. And I think that based on conversations that we've had, you know, we weren't really sure if it had to be a position by position swap or if, if they could potentially pick a guard. But I think Adam's going to have his hands full with this situation and have to choose probably have to choose a big. I, I'm guessing he'll choose a big, but there's a chance. You know, based on discussions that he chooses DeJounte Murray. And I wouldn't be mad if he chose DeJounte Murray because of the numbers he's putting up, uh, because of how consistent he's been. And I think it's definitely a feel-good story and allows the San Antonio Spurs to be represented in All-Star Weekend, which is great for the NBA, great for their market, and great for their fan base. So I wouldn't be surprised if DeJounte Murray gets his first bid to the All-Star Game, and it will be well-deserved because his game has continued to evolve. He's averaging nearly a triple-double become efficient, his jump shot is is much improved, and he showed great tenacity at the defensive end to where he'll probably be first-team all-defense again this year. Now we're on to the East. The East is great. I love looking at these list of names. Um, Shout-out to my guy, Freddie Leaning Fam, Uh, becoming a first-time all-star, really happy for him. Undrafted, I think he's the fourth undrafted player in NBA history to be named to an all-star game, just kind of shows you, as he says, you bet on yourself, roll the dice, and he's done that and more. Toronto has gotten the most out of him. Shout out to Nick Nurse, that organization, Masai. Obviously, you know, continuing to not only draft well and pick up you know certain free agents, but also the development phase of developing their players. Jimmy Butler, I think he was a lock. The, the Heat have played extremely well. I think they were first in the East as of you know, a few days ago, playing great basketball. They kind of do a, a win by committee type of thing, uh, where you know Tyler Hero, obviously, you got Kyle Lowry. You got Bam in the middle. You got a bunch of shooters who some people may have never heard of, but that will get paid a lot of money because they just know how to play the game the right way. And they're extremely well coached. And the sun is always shining in Miami, so it's, it's always a plus. But happy for Jimmy. Darius Garland, first-time All-Star. Kid can flat-out shoot it, but he's become you know a really good facilitator. And he's kind of stepped up and evolved since Colin Sexton went out and has been able to really show what he has to offer. And the Cleveland Cavaliers are in good hands for years to come, based on this kid's potential talent and what he has to offer. James playing well in Brooklyn, doing what he does. You know, off to a slow start, but was able to kind of evolve his game, uh, adjust to the to the referees, and has really been the only mainstay in the lineup as of late because Kay has been out with an injury and Kai is only playing away games, so James has been kind of uh, handling the majority of the workload. Shout out to Zach Levine getting into the All-Star game. Bulls have been great. High flyer. Uh, wish he was in the dunk contest, but it's all good. Middleton. Mid-range a assassin, a shashin, uh, Gets to his spots. Well, I think this is his third time being in the All-Star game, which is, which is nice. Kind of shows his consistency and how important he is to the Bucs team that's coming off of a championship run. Uh, Look for them to be really, really good down the stretch of the playoffs. Tatum's in, obviously, as a lock because of his explosive scoring ability. He's rebounded well and kept the Celtics in contention, although some would say they're underachieving because they have so much talent. I think they'll kind of figure things out slowly but surely. I don't have any issues with this. I think that they did a great job of of balancing out, you know, quote-unquote forwards. I think Butler's considered a forward. Tatum's considered a forward, and Mitty is like a small forward slash forward. So they got that balance there. And I think Zach Levine, believe it or not, is considered guard slash forward because of the lineups they run uh, with DeMar DeRozan out there. So I don't have any issues with that. I think fans should have an influence uh, because they're a big reason why we make so much money. They're a big part of All-Star Weekend. It's about entertainment. It's about the fans and those interactions that we're able to have kind of behind the scenes and in public. So although 50% is a lot of the votes, I think it is important. And generally speaking, each year, it's pretty consistent on who's in as a starter. You know, Obviously, the LeBrons of the world, the KDs of the world, the Giannis of the world are going to get in as starter locks because not only are they the best players at their positions, but also the fact that they have a massive, massive fan base and following that stems beyond... Um, the United States and it kind of ventures out to a lot of other countries as well, and we're seeing that in the voting process. But I think it's really cool that fans have a say. I also think it's cool that players and media are able to split uh, the other fifty percent. And I think that most of the players take it seriously. Obviously, you get some guys voting for you know Ben Simmons who hasn't played a game all year, and you get some people voting for Kyrie who's you know played some this year and hasn't played some this year. But generally speaking, players take it seriously. I know personally that I, I take it seriously each year, and I look at a variety of things when I'm voting. I look at, obviously, stats. I look at the impact. And by impact, I mean, you know, how good is your team with you? How good is your team without you? Um, do you impact winning? Are you playing the game the right way? Um, from a player player peer standpoint, like, I kind of know who's really good and who's not, based on having played against them, having talked to certain guys across the league. And you know, who's putting up empty stats and who's not, you know, who's, you know, really genuinely important and, and, and crucial to their team's success. And you know, who's just, you know, not, I'm not going to say along for the ride, but playing well in a poor situation. And sometimes it's, it's not the player's fault. Sometimes they're just in a situation in which the organization is just not heading in the right direction, but they're very good and are playing well, but won't be recognized the same way because of the losing basketball, their team is playing. But, I look at all those things and then I also look at how the team utilizes a player and I think that really matters and I'll use I'll use Wiggins for an example, right? Wiggins stats are probably from a point per game standpoint not as good as they were in Minnesota and now he's averaging less points a game but he's playing a better brand of basketball and I think the the basketball purists really enjoy that because he showed an ability to adapt, you know, into a new role. His game is more refined, and although he's averaging less points, he's more efficient. His field goal percentage is higher. His three-point percentage is higher. He's rebounding the basketball at, at a better clip in terms of, you know, out-of-area rebounds. He's showing flashes of his athleticism still by dunking on players, like his most recent poster of Carl Anthony Towns, his former teammate. But the, the icing on the cake is that he's defending and he's playing warrior basketball. And I think all those things that factored into him being a starter, whereas you have some other guys who are putting up tremendous numbers but their team's not winning and it's not necessarily considered winning basketball so they don't receive the same praise and i think you know for me looking at all of those things you know we kind of factor that in but as a hooper you know who can hoop and who can't and i think it's really cool to kind of see from a peer-to-peer standpoint like devin booker gets a lot of votes because he's a pure hooper like he gets buckets and he's the type of guy who can survive in any system and, and has gone through some of the worst that you'll see in basketball in terms of lottery, losing games, you know, remember his 70 point game was celebrated in teams and like people kind of frowned upon that because they lost to now being on arguably the best team in basketball and contributing in a similar fashion, more efficient basketball, but towards winning. So I think that's just really cool to see in terms of the the process. I think I talked about it. You know, you basically, you know, pick the players you want. You got backcourt, you got frontcourt and, then you kind of wait to see the results just like the rest of the world. And as a basketball purist and a guy who appreciates the five, the center position, appreciates the four, the power forward position, I'm happy to see that positions do still matter. But I think that it kind of puts people in a box and gives an advantage to certain players who are able to receive votes for guard and or forward. Um, Whereas you got some guys who may be combo guards or maybe, you know, A multifaceted player who's only pigeonholed to one specific position. So I think that can be tough at certain instances and points in time. But I'm happy to see Rudy in the game, happy to see Cat in the game, happy to see our big men still being represented properly and able to be celebrated on that stage. In terms of injury replacements, I think I talked about it. I think Murray may be the obvious choice. Obviously, you could go with Mikael Bridges, who's on a team who's winning, playing winning basketball. But I think Murray is putting up all-star caliber numbers, maybe similar to a situation uh, that we've seen before in the past with like a Tracy McGrady, who's playing great basketball, but team's not winning. And it's hard to kind of judge um, whether or not they should be in it. But I think it's a a cool discussion to be had. And then in terms of the Eastern Conference, with Kay being out, but Kay also being a starter, it's it's weird uh, because you're not sure who they're going to use to replace him, whether that'll be a guard or a forward. But I think you got three or four valuable options. You got LaMelo Ball, obviously if you want to go with the guard position. You got Jalen Brown, who I think falls under the guard slash forward position. And you have Jared Allen, who's playing really, really good basketball, um, winning basketball in the city of Cleveland. Cleveland is the host of the All-Star Game. It's a great storyline. He's a prototypical big who blocks shots. He rebounds, does all the little things. And I think it's a really, really cool story behind the fact that he played in Brooklyn, he was traded, he's being paid extremely well. He's into comics, he's into science, he's into all those things. And we'll be able to represent the Cavs potentially in the All-Star game this season, kind of show the growth the Cavs have gone through post LeBron James. So I think that's kind of my take on the All-Star where it's at with the reserves. I'm looking forward to, to being there for some meetings and continue to represent the players to the best of my abilities. Really, really looking forward to the Tech Summit and some of the things I'll be able to attend and give it back to the communities. But really can't wait to see the fan engagement interaction being from Ohio. I know a lot of people are looking forward to All-Star Weekend there. It'll be cold to bring your fur coats, your fur jackets, and watch some of the best players in the world ball out. Now on the football. And it's a shame my Cleveland Browns won't be in this year's Super Bowl, but the Cincinnati Bengals will be. And I must say these playoffs have been some of the best football I've watched in a really, really long time. There have been upsets. There have been close games. There have been clutch drives and performances by quarterbacks. There's been interceptions thrown late to cost teams games. And there's been field goal kickers showing just how valuable they are, especially down the stretch of games. It's ironic because we played against the Bulls during the AFC and NFC championships, literally, and guys were kind of tracking the score on their phones on the plane at halftime. You know, you know the TVs were on. You could see some of the team attendants, you know, tracking scores, talking about Mahomes. And obviously, we ended up losing to the Chicago Bulls. And as we were, you know, getting ready to leave, the game was in overtime. And we were trying to, like, kind of delay our bus uh, to be able to watch down the stretch. And we were able to see how great... Not only Joe Burrow was as a, as a player, but how great that organization is currently. You know the turnaround they've been able to make is is unlike anything we've probably seen. Going from worst to potentially first um, in the NFL is very hard to do, especially in that quick turnaround of you know a three year gap of having having the ability to draft Joe Burrow number one overall. He plays a year, gets hurt, has to miss a lot of time, and comes back and takes his team to the Super Bowl. It's just it's amazing, and I was very surprised the Chiefs lost. Um, I thought that was basically a lock. I think they were favored by like six points. And I thought that was like an easy lock uh, (laughs) for most bettors out there. And, and, you know, to come back, I think they were down 21-3. And they came back and actually stopped the Chiefs first and goal. I think it was first and goal. They stopped the Chiefs, held them to a field goal. Chiefs get the coin toss, intercept Pat Mahomes, drive down the field, get a field goal, game over, kind of shows you that they're able to win in in, in multiple ways, not just in shootouts, but also depending on their defense, depending on their kicker and being able to rely on the big arm of Joy Burrow. So I think that's just really cool. In terms of the it factor, he definitely has it. His Instagram posts are dope. He he had the Cartier glasses on and he had the comment. The caption was, Cartier glasses, I won't even peek at you. Uh, I think that was a little baby line, just kind of showing you how how swaggy he is, you know. Obviously, the cigar, everybody remembers the cigar he smoked after he won um, the national championship at LSU. And just his leadership, his poise, his ability to kind of move a whole city is something that we always envisioned as Cleveland Browns fans, you know, being able to see how one can revitalize a franchise. It's just special and something that I enjoy watching. I think that the perfect story ending, storybook ending would be for him to win this Super Bowl in LA against the Rams as a four and a half point underdog. I think that would be wild. But the Cleveland Brown in me wants to see OBJ win it. For one, because we're from Ohio and it's like, wow, we're going to watch Cincinnati win a Super Bowl. It's like a gut punch. But for two, OBJ was written off. Like people talked about how he was a cancer. Uh, he he had lost it. He doesn't have it anymore. You know. All, all people remember was the catch that he made, you know, when he was with the Giants. His numbers have continued to trend downward. He he was the reason why Baker was struggling. He was the reason why the Browns were struggling. His dad obviously released a, the video about Baker looking him off, and there's just all this controversy around it. And he was just kind of quiet behind the scenes, just working on his game, making this you know cool Instagram posts and things of that nature. And all of a sudden. It's like a breath of fresh air to see him do well, to see him not be a distraction, to see, you know, when he's mic'd and he's talking about, you know, it's about we, you know what I mean? It's about us as a team. And to see him perform well on that stage, I think nine or 10 catches, you know, nearly 100 yards, to be the number two to Cooper Cup just kind of shows you the growth that he's taken and his ability to just do whatever it takes to win. He's always talked about it, you know, but now he's actually showing that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And uh, I'm really happy for him um, as a player. As a guy who was just wondering why we never got the most out of him in Cleveland, it, it, it's it's really cool to see him succeed and thrive and, and genuinely appear to be happy with the circumstances and his role. Um, so, shout out to OBJ, shout out to the Rams, shout out to Joey B. Happy for you, man. You're really putting on for for Ohio, and I'm just really looking forward to a very entertaining game. <laughs> I'm not even sure if we played during the Super Bowl, knowing the NBA, they probably scheduled a game for us to travel. But hopefully, I'm able to watch. And, and cheer them on, and I think the world is a, is a better place when sports are as entertaining as they have been. I think it gives everyone an escape, especially you know players during the trade deadline. So that'll be that'll be cool to watch post trade deadline Super Bowl uh, for all the all the athletes in the world and all the casual fans and real fans and all the LA natives. You guys are about to be in a unique position with all of those out of towners coming to town. So good luck with that. Ramona Shelburne recently dropped an article, um, kind of describing what's been going on between the Sixers and Ben Simmons. Uh, gave some insight into you know his thought process in terms of you know what's been bothering him, what's been bothering the organization, what they've kind of gone through over the last few years, specifically uh, the last few months with what appears to be Daryl Morris, as they quoted unwillingness to trade him because of his previous pursuit of Harden. I think there's a lot going on with this team, this organization. Uh, It all stemmed um, from, you know, the playoff loss and the frustration that kind of surrounded it. There's, I don't even know if these are considered quotes. There's wording that kind of says, you know, that Ben was frustrated that Rivers didn't come see him while he was training in Los Angeles last summer. But the side note is that, Ramona states, when I was working with DACA this summer, he told me Simmons wouldn't even get back to him when he tried to reach out and that he actually did try and meet with him with some other players in the team when they flew out from Philly. So there's a lot of back and forth, he said, she said, he said type of thing where the moral of the story is that Ben was offended that the Sixers still fined him for not playing in the final preseason game even after he rushed to arrive at the arena before a tip-off. They'd been fining him heavily even after he raised mental health issues upon his return. The fines have totaled $19 million since the season began. Each game has cost him $360,000. And by the end of the season, if he doesn't play for the Sixers or any other team, Simmons could lose another $12 million. That'll be over $30 million, which is wild. Pull up or dish here. I am dishing on this entire situation. I think (laughs) that he is not going to be traded by the deadline. As we record this, the deadline is seven days from today. Tomorrow, it'll make it six days away. And I just don't feel like they're going to get a deal done that fast. I think he's more likely to be traded around the giraffe because they've had three or four months to kind of work out a deal and still haven't, which tells me that they're kind of either waiting on something else to come along or just uh, not not quite set on the packages that, they, that they've received. The Kings have said that they're moving on to new targets. The Nets have said that they're not moving hard. And so if, if they are dreaming of that marriage, it won't be able to happen until the summertime. The L of the week has to be the Brooklyn Nets. They've lost six straight games. The East is crazy. The Nets are currently sitting at the sixth seed. There are three and a half games out of first, one and a half games from being in the playing game. But you shouldn't panic. Um, I'm not concerned at all about this team. Kay's hurt. Um, Kai's not playing home games. James has been in and out of the lineup the last couple weeks, uh, probably resting from the workload he's had to go through this entire season as he kind of gears up for a late playoff push. But as long as they're healthy as they head in the playoffs, and by healthy, I mean Kevin Durant and James Harden are able to play home and away games. They have a shot at getting out of the East. And if you sprinkle in Kyrie for some of those away games and you have a team who's very dangerous and could win the championship, especially coming out of the East, I think for teams like the Bucks and the Nets, seating doesn't really matter. They've shown that they can win on the road. They've shown that Players matter. Players win games. Big-time performers who are able to, to finish down the stretch of games are the ones who really impact winning the most. So I think they will really make the most difference in what happens, whether they're the one seed, two seed, three or four. Um, health is what will ultimately be the deciding factor in their success. In terms of the East and who finishes number one, obviously between the Bulls, Heat, Sixers, Bucks, Nets, and Cavs, I think the Heat are going to finish one because they understand the importance of home court advantage. but They also understand the importance of resting players and have showed that through injuries, COVID, personal matters uh, with some of their players throughout their roster and their team, they've still been able to win and maintain uh, balance. Uh, so it's only a matter of time before they'll be healthy, having Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Jimmy, Bam, all those players collectively playing together alongside P.J. Tucker. It's only a matter of time before they get healthy and have that unit together. They'll continue to win, get used to playing with each other, and I think potentially take on the number one seed, mainly because they're going to try to get it and also because they'll finally be healthy and have managed to win without even being healthy. The dub of the week is Joel Embiid for sure. During all the whispers and rumors uh, surrounding his team and you know his co-star... He has played the best basketball of his career by far. I think this is the second or third time in his career he's played 20 consecutive games. He showed longevity, consistency. Post-COVID, he's been dominant in the month of January. He's averaged 34 points, 10.8 rebounds, and 5.1 assists. Led the Sixers to a 12-3 record. And the Sixers have kind of rallied around him as the face of the franchise and as a guy who's backing them. They had an impressive victory over the Memphis Grizzlies the other night without Embiid. Maxie has played well, Seth Curry, a list of others. But I think the dub of the week is definitely Embiid. I think playing against him is a unique feeling because he's so dominant at all three levels. He knows how to draw fouls. When he posts up, he's as strong as, you know, the strongest big man in the league. He has a great presence about him when he ducks into the paint. And he also can mix power, finesse, footwork, and touch, which is like really, really hard to do, but easy for him now because of how he's tailored his game. In terms of fear, I don't think people are afraid of him. It's just that, like, you don't expect to stop him. You just hope to contain him, sending doubles at him, making him pass, trying to attack him, you know, on the dribble, things of that nature. Put him in pick and rolls on defense and, and kind of try to tire him out are your only real options because once he gets the ball, he's hard to stop with two, impossible to stop with one. If I had to pick between Embiid and choke, Joker, that's tough. Injuries aside, I think they're both capable of winning a championship. They're both guys you can boot around. You can't go wrong. Uh, that's that's like that's like picking you know my favorite type of French fry. I like all of them. For the sake of this discussion, I'm going to go and beat because of how well he's been playing as of late. But Joker's already won an MVP. Uh, he's taken his team pretty far consistently and has showed the ability to remain available, which is important. But if I'm taking injuries aside, I go with Embiid because of his dominant post presence. I think that post presence is is very, very important, especially in a playoff series, you know, six, seven game series. Being able to score as dominantly as he does in the post while drawing fouls is something that's going to be really important. I do think people are sleeping on the Sixers. I think they're very good, obviously, pending trade. Trade may happen, may not at the deadline. They are a contender. They are a, a team that has potential to win it, especially if they're healthy and especially if they're able to eat Either A, have Ben Simmons return or B, get a proper package for him. By by proper package, I just mean a lot of pieces that can help them win a championship. I've been on the road for quite some time away from my little man and I actually cracked open a 2012 Costa Brown Russian River Valley Pinot Noir. I think I've talked about Costa Brown in general before. It's the Ferrari of Pinot Noirs as I like to call it. One of the Ferraris of Pinot Noirs, a very good Pinot that goes well with everything, sticks out amongst elite wines, but has a pretty reasonable price point considering circumstances. Uh, This is something you can buy around 150 bucks, but depending on the year, you can get them for as low as $115. It's more bold than light, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet, higher in acidity. You're going to get cherry, raspberry, strawberries, vanilla, oak, cola, little bits of plum things of that nature. It's a very, very good wine among the top 1% of the world and among the top 1% in the Russian River Valley. And it is Pinot Noir, as I said before, but you can pair it with beef, veal, game, venison, poultry, all those different types of things. And you can also pair it well with popcorn because of the butter and the acidity in that. It'll definitely go well. So I highly recommend this wine, it's very good. I'm gonna add some more to my cellar and as well as my storage because I'm a big fan of it. And our staff was a big fan of it as well. I shared some glasses with some of our staff. But that's all for now. The next time I talk to you will be in about a week. I think it'll be around All-Star break. I'll probably have a nice guest for you guys working on that. Now, maybe the guest will be from Cleveland or in Cleveland or in Memphis who knows as always be sure you're following the podcast on Spotify Apple Podcasts wherever you get your shows tell a friend to tell a friend hit the show up on social at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram because we're posting fresh content all season long and as the saying goes don't forget to pull up